Um, I just had my phone vibrate in my pocket. I'm going to throw it very far away. And I'm going to start that little bit over again. Get out of here. Ooh. Oops. Okay. Well, that, that's probably fine. Um, <laughs> You're listening to BAM Political Talk with Bob, Albert, and Matt bringing you rational conversations during irrational times. I'm your host, Matt Brown. I have with me here, Albert Kramer. Hey, Matt. And Bob LaBeouf. Hey, Matt. Today is Tuesday, December 1st. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing a listener question from Will from Watertown. Will from Watertown asked us, what can Biden do to make sure he doesn't have a lame duck presidency? I had to inquire a little further into what he meant by a lame duck presidency, because I haven't I don't think heard that term before, but uh, really? he expanded upon it. Have you have you heard that term before? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's so like right right now, Trump is yeah. in the lame duck. Well, phase. sure. Yeah. Yeah, lame duck phase. I've heard of before. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of a lame duck presidency. So, um, yeah. What what Will meant here was uh, he he wanted to know what Biden could do to not just be stymied at every possible step of the way, uh, prevented by Mitch McConnell by. Republican federal judges, etc., from actually accomplishing his goals. So we we figure there are going to be two major roles playing a part in how Biden's presidency ends up going. One of them is going to be how COVID plays out over the next couple months. And the other one is how Georgia goes. For those who don't know, there are two Senate races going on right now in Georgia that will determine who controls Congress, Democrats or Republicans. There are 48 Democrats. There are 50 Republicans right now. If both of them go to the Democrats, they gain control. If both of them or one of them goes to the Republicans, they have they have control. So that will significantly impact things going down the line. Uh, we decided we wanted to talk first about COVID and how that could impact things over the next couple months. Um, would you guys agree that the next couple months are probably going to be the worst it's going to be in terms of COVID? Matt, I, I think it's going to be difficult to quantify because... Testing was non-existent back in February and March. A lot of cases went unnoticed. And if you look at the uh, the wastewater readout set, I know we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. Um, they showed the highest, at least in Massachusetts, that they've ever been on average, although we are starting to approach that level again um, back in the first wave. So I think that these months are certainly going to be the worst of the second wave. I think it still remains to be seen really how bad things are going to pale in comparison to the first wave when doctors had no idea how to treat it and weren't really even capturing everybody that was infected with COVID. I don't know. I I think it could be a lot worse than the first wave just because we have multiple super spreader events coming up. We have, well, we had one already recently with Thanksgiving and there's going to be another one coming up at Christmas time, right? Combined with the fact that people are not able to congregate outdoors in a meaningful way these days. So I suspect at least in those ways, it could be worse, although at least at this point, we're tracking it, right? Whereas mm-hmm. in the first wave, there was very little ability to track the the way things were going. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw, but Rhode Island right now has almost reached full capacity for yes. its beds at hospitals. Yes, they, they, they have announced that they have reached capacity. And yeah, so that doesn't bode well. Utilizing a field hospital. Yep, they're going to utilize a field hospital, I believe, for non-COVID patients, and um, they are likely going to be sending patients to neighboring states. Just logically, I would assume that would happen. 
Sure, sure. Uh, you had mentioned the wastewater treatment plant. Um, that's something that I've been paying a lot of attention for listeners. I can't remember if I mentioned this before in a prior podcast, but I, I totally should have. Um, I think you did. Basic, yeah, I think I did. Um, basically, the, all the sewage from Boston, from a very large swath of territory around Boston, is all flowing through the uh, Deer Island wastewater treatment plant, and it's being tested uh, by a company called Biobot, I think. Um, and they're looking to see how many copies of COVID RNA are showing up per milliliter. Um, and if you look at that data, it's been going up significantly lately. I was actually using it as a way to teach some stuff when I was tutoring my nephew recently, my nephew Owen. Uh, and we were taking a look at it and trying to predict what the numbers would look like a week out based on what they were doing a in the prior week. And we tried a linear trend at first, and I decided, well, let's see how much it's increasing day over day. We were seeing about a 4% growth per day in this, and we predicted outwards a week at 4% growth and hit the nail on the head. We were less than a percent off from what it actually was. Nice. And I think, I think that's like such a great sort of summary of where we are as a country and sort of also... Like we literally have armchair, you know, disease experts plotting <laughs> exactly what's going to happen. And yet also it's out of control, right? We have the yep. knowledge, we know what's going on and it's still like a, a raging wildfire. That's what really blows my mind. And I guess my question is, and probably what our listeners are thinking, like, what does this have to do with Biden? Like, why, why does this matter mm. for him politically if it is really going out of control, whether as opposed to getting under control at the start of his administration? What, uh, what, what, what do you think about that, Albert? Let's oh. pretend I just posed that question to you. What a great question, <laughs> Matt. Oh, man. <laughs> so the, the, way, the reason why I think this all matters is because it sort of matters where the momentum is in terms of the recovery, in terms of Biden getting both one credit for saving the country with the pandemic and two, Biden getting the credit of an eventual economic recovery, right? Economic indicators tend to lag by at least a, a, a few months. So you could easily see a situation where things are already sort of cresting and then he comes in and he's sort of riding it downhill and sort of has that momentum. You could also see a situation where, and I hope honestly for the good of the country, that's not the case, right? Where it's already getting better. Unfortunately, I, I don't know if that's the case. But, you know, if he can ride that into the midterms, that could be something that could be a game changer. Because right now, the Democrats are set to lose their House majority in the midterms if they have an average incumbents loss. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. that if these next couple months are the worst of all the months we've seen so far in terms of coronavirus, then this could work out beautifully for his administration as long as they don't bungle it royally. Like, if he yeah. gets inaugurated right at the worst of it and things get better and the economy gets better over the course of administ mm -hmm. his administration, regardless of, like, whether he had a large influence on that recovery, he ends up benefiting from it just by the fact that presidents seem to do much better when they preside over a, a recovery, uh, whether right. or not, uh, whether or not they had much say in it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I would say that presidents get far too much blame and far too much credit when things go mm -hmm. north or south for the economy. And Definitely. I don't expect that to change. I think the average voter is going to be the average voter. They're voting with their wallet. They're voting based on how they're feeling. And that's not going to change. 
I think the biggest risk for um, President-elect Biden when he does take office is vaccine distribution and and testing to a lesser of an extent, but absolutely on vaccine distribution. He must efficiently and apolitically get the vaccine out there in order to keep with his co- his branding of being a unifier. And there's going to be politics involved in that distribution. There's politics involved in everything. But I think if he can keep it to a minimum and out of the public eye and listen to the scientists and what they're saying, whether or not they decide to target the most at-risk people in the after they vaccinate healthcare workers who are going first, um, whether they target the most at-risk people or they target the people who are more likely to spread it. So like people in our age group, you know, there's, there's benefits to each. But whatever the scientists decide, whatever his CDC decides, he needs to fully support them. So that, I would say, is his biggest risk. Testing also. There is still not yet an at-home test that does not require a prescription approved by the FDA. That has really been, I think, the biggest problem with testing. You know, President Trump, I disagreed with him when he left everything up to governors, but really I think that an even worse mistake that was made is the inability to get a cheap, easy, maybe not the most sensitive test, but the ability for you, you have one cold symptom, you have something that a $5 test that you could take at home would would be good enough while you're at home isolating, but instead you insurance doesn't cover it. You have to go somewhere and pay 200 bucks for a test. That's a huge problem right now. Wouldn't there be a worry in that, that people would get a test and see that it comes out negative and go off and take risky behavior where it just happened to be a false negative though? Sure. But I think for every person that's going to do that, that's definitely a risk, but there's also going to be people who are just kind of not sure because it feels really mild and they're not um, being approved for a test. This actually happened to me. I had only gastrointestinal symptoms this, pa- this past summer. I called my doctor. She said, no, you don't need a COVID test. And my only option was to go to a slow the spread site 30 miles from my house and wait in line for an hour or um, pay $200 and go to urgent care. So like, those really aren't good options if you want people to really know if they've had the virus. Um, Bob, you mentioned something about apolitical distribution. I seriously doubt that's possible in any way. And even if it's utterly apolitical, people are going to pretend that it's political. Like there are enough media organizations wanting to spin this in different ways that there's no way that this is going to be scandal free, even if it is scandal free. Yeah, people are going to pretend. So if you dole out if you dole out vaccines based on state population and then give it to the states, which is looking like what the FDA is going to recommend, at least as of today, from what I've been following, um, they'll be like, oh, well, California is getting more vaccine than Wyoming. It's like, well, yeah, there's more people in California, you know, but so pe- people will spit. People will spin spin things how they're going to spin them, but the the types of things that I wouldn't want to see are like I'm going to promise you a political favor if you give it to Michigan first or something like that. Like that's the stuff that I think would be really really um, devastating to Biden politically. Sure. So I mean I I think I think the testing is is really interesting, Bob. And just to sort of take this back to kind of where where Biden is. I think the parallels to 2009 and Obama are very interesting, right? Because would you rather have the trifecta in terms of control of all three branches of government, but kind of get blamed for an economy that is way worse than one expected and sort Mm -hmm. of holds down the rest of your 
your presidency? Or would you rather be Biden, who can kind of ride it and also with the potential of Georgia have have the best of both worlds? I think I'd rather be Biden personally. I would because then I can just say, you know what, I tried my best, but all these other people prevented me from being able to accomplish it. You know, whereas Obama didn't have any excuse, right? Yeah, he can say that, and and not only can he say that, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, the fall of twenty twenty two, the late fall of twenty twenty two, is still a long time away. But it wouldn't surprise me if this was a rare midterm election in which the president sitting party picks up seats. Um, as our listeners who are politically savvy know, midterm elections um, tend to favor the party not in charge of the executive branch. Mm-hmm. But with a good economy on his coattails and moving forward with the COVID recovery largely done, people spending all of 2021 playing golf and doing coke and whatever else they want to do to party, oh, everything that they <laughs> that they uh, haven't been doing in the last few years. Yeah, th- don't do drugs, kids. But like proverbially speaking, there are going to be lots and lots of money spending and celebrations in the year 2021 if everything goes well, which is looking yep. like it would. So God, that might so. be enough. That might be enough. Like that might be just enough for Biden to say, hey, I just saved everybody. I don't deserve the credit, but I'm going to take it because I'm a politician and why wouldn't I? But vote for me and vote for my party. And I think that's going to be a winning message. Yeah. So I've, I've learned my lesson not to discredit uh, bold predictions by uh, Bob LaBeouf. So uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely uh, taking that one with the, the credibility it deserves. But Matt, I just want to go back to your point about kind of like wanting to be Biden and having someone to blame, because I think that's a really important point where... You know, if 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 the Democrats win both races in Georgia, and that's a big if, yeah. right? But mm-hmm. if they do, it's even then, job. they're only going to have a majority that's as progressive as West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. And so if he wins, <laughs> he's in a situation where he's going to have so many people in his party so frustrated. There's going to be like, you know, this progressive versus moderate centrist, you know, war on steroids almost better to be able to point the finger at big bad McConnell and say, Hey, give me a real majority mm. and I'll do something, you know, real for, for America. Yeah. I could see mm. Manchin becoming like the most hated man of the progressives uh, in the <laughs> next couple of years. Like everything is going to ride on him in that scenario where the Democrats win both, which again, I think is highly unlikely. Like if we just yeah. look at it as pure coin flips, they've got a 25% chance of it going that way for them obviously it's not exactly Mm -hmm. that but i I would say frankly it's worse than that probably oh i think it's worse as well yeah with the difficulty it will take to get all of the democrats out yet again in order to to foil the republicans on this like i I think it's it's worse than a 25 percent yeah The, the democrats base in general across the country is larger but they tend to vote less frequently than the republican base so mm-hmm. that's something to consider here especially when looking at special elections so matt since you, since you are the math the math expert i'll i'll take i'll take your uh your wisdom on that in terms of the probability but then sure. if if the chances of winning the senate are low for the democrats then what can Biden do? What is in his power if he has Mitch McConnell basically trying to shut down his presidency from day one? Yeah, so I've been thinking about this one a lot lately. Um, I think that one of them, obviously, is, is his veto power. Anything that Mitch McConnell wants to get through in the Senate, Biden can just veto it. There's no way that McConnell is going to get 60 votes in the Senate if he's being obstructionist. 
So Biden can just prevent any of that getting through, which is a pretty good lever to have a hold of. Secondly, there's a chance of forming a coalition around McConnell, which seems like it could be pretty rough. I think McConnell's done a pretty good job of keeping people mostly in lockstep for the past few years, and I can see that continuing on. And the other one I'm thinking of is executive orders. And executive orders, I am very much against, but I mean... It seems like this is the only way to accomplish things anymore um, in terms of uh, legislation. And it's so bizarre, but we basically have presidents legislating now because the Senate is incapable of coming to some sort of resolution with the House and with the presidency. So I, I think those are the three ways that he has a chance of accomplishing his goals right now. What do you think, Bob? Yeah, I mean, I think that the veto pen, just to holistically go at what you said, Matt, I think the veto pen is not as strong as you think, because I think legislation that does ultimately come to Joe Biden's desk is not going to be contentious legislation. It's going to be broad, bipartisan legislation that never makes the news. This um, legislation originates in the House, and then the Senate comes up with their own version, and the House is controlled by Democrats. So I, I, I wouldn't expect that. I mean, yeah, I mean, certain things, sure, like the veto pen will be good, but I don't think it'll be a, 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 as big of a deal as, as, as you do. But I do think that... Um, under that with with Mitch McConnell, I think that you're right that if he wants to get a lot of what he wants done by executive order, that's he's going to have to lawyer up and um, figure out what he can legally do that won't be controversial to devastate his presidency. But I, I am with you. I am I'm against executive order uh, legislation through executive order. There's been a rumor that he's looking into canceling $50,000 across the board of student loan debt, which Whoa. I think via executive order, I think would be wow. a mistake. I would rather see that through legislation. So, hmm. um, you got to be careful with executive orders because they can backfire. It was a massive criticism against President Trump, and the Republicans can very easily forget all the executive orders that President Trump signed and start immediately complaining and getting out the vote based on the executive orders that Joe Biden is signing. Yeah, I, I, I like what you're saying, Bob, in terms of, you know, executive orders. There's, there's It's definitely playing with fire. I think an area where Biden has complete autonomy is on the foreign policy realm. And that's something where, you know, I know it's kind of like the joke, nobody cares about the foreign policy debate. You know, mm -hmm. It's not really what voters <laughs> care about. And that's Hey, fair. we care on this yeah, show, we mm -hmm. care. That's right, our, our, our listeners care. But, you know, so, so that is one thing. In foreign policy, it, it does matter. But on a second area, Trump really sort of opened up a door that didn't exist on trade policy. Meaning, you know... Yeah suddenly tariffs can be used to enforce human rights. Tariffs can be used to, to enforce climate change in accordance with the Paris Accord. I mean, there's a lot that a Biden administration could do, sort of the exact opposite of what Trump was doing, but mm -hmm. using the same tools that he's probably pretty thankful that Trump developed for him. Right. <laughs> what do you guys think of the cabinet picks so far that Biden's uh, put forward? I'm a big fan of uh, Yellen. I think that's that's that was uh, a very good pick. Yes, our listeners should know that I always refer to chairman past and present of the Fed as either auntie or uncle. So we have Uncle Jay Powell <laughs> right now, and um, yeah, Auntie Janet was a good chairman of the Fed. Um, does she lose I her auntie? I, does she lose her auntie status now that she's no, becoming treasury no. secretary? She retains it. <laughs> Is it a she lifetime honorably... thing? 
Okay, okay. It is a lifetime thing. She will honorably <laughs> retain the auntie title. So. I just want to make sure we yeah. get it right for our listeners. Bob. Yeah, absolutely. God. Yeah. So yeah. So Auntie Janet actually supports something that I believe has bipartisan support under proper circumstances for climate change, which is a carbon taxation. And um, I was interested in seeing her thoughts on that. So although, you know, she's not going to write policy, she could potentially suggest and advise members of Congress and the president to put forth legislation in the House and ask them to consider it, which the president has done historically in the past. President Obama did it with uh, the Affordable Care Act. So um, that's where I see her being, you know, very, very useful in that cabinet. And I'm excited. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think a carbon tax is a really interesting idea, and it's too bad our listeners can't see Matt rolling his eyes at Bob's question <laughs> that, that a carbon I'm... tax was going to become a reality. But I think well, the one... Sorry, go ahead, Bob. No, I was just going to say Matt's a closet Republican anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. You heard, you heard it here first, folks. But, but I do... see slow transition over the years. But I do think, I do think to, to Bob's point about sort of domestic side of climate change, you know, the power of the bully pulpit, right? To have the president of the United States talking about climate change is real, you know, releasing all Mm -hmm. this new data, having, you know, Noah actually acknowledge it, putting, putting people in, you know, the EPA, like that's going to make a big difference. And that's something that he can do with anybody in Congress, even Republicans. Yeah. So that's hopefully stuff that he'd be able to do day one, just forcing or, allowing noah to start actually acknowledging this stuff again what are other things that you guys see biden as being able to do day one to start exerting influence well i think he could also appoint a lot of liberal justices and not necessarily just supreme court justices but down down lower and really help to to change things around and i know is is mcconnell gonna allow that why why would mcconnell allow that so that that is the that that is the a little bit of an open question, Matt. That's fair. Well, yeah, I mean, lower court judges are not very controversial. So I mean, McConnell still has to pick his battles. He's not going to just go for the throat, even though that's how the media portrays him as. And he is very aggressive. Don't get me wrong, but you can't block a lower federal circuit judge's appointee all the time. Didn't he so, do that for several years at the end of the Obama administration? Every single judge? I don't think so. Maybe not literally every judge. A lot of them, yeah. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, the last couple years of Obama's time, he... He prevented a lot of uh, that was my favorite my favorite Trump true. quote. He's like, I don't know why Obama didn't appoint more people, but he didn't. So I'm doing it. now. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I could pull up that stat right now. But no, fair enough, guys. Um, fair no, fair enough, really guys. Bad. But like, you know, you hear you hear a lot about like somebody like when Merrick Garland, like the most high profile case when he was appointed, it was unanimous Republicans and Democrats. So like, I feel like there's a lot more going on behind the scenes of like judges being appointed and not a lot of fanfare about it, but I guess I'm wrong on that. Uh, so yeah, who knows? But yeah, I'll try to I pull mean, that stat for next time, but I'm, I, it, right. it was a large quantity, like all significantly larger than is normal. Like McConnell has oh, been yeah, very enough. willing to break from the norms on that one. And yeah. I suspect that he could keep that up for four more years, especially if they yeah. retain control of the, the judiciary sure. committee. You do have to be careful, though. Trump did just show us that when you go full 100, 
then you can still lose if if you're unpopular enough and if you're hated enough by the other side. And I think that's the biggest sure. takeaway. So if McConnell's paying attention, hopefully he learns something from that. Yeah. Um, and, ju- and just to go back to your original question, Matt, and maybe to wrap things up on my end on a, on a little bit of a cheesy note, but I think it's important to remember that you know, Biden's like slogan was restore the soul of America. Like he really cares about mm-hmm. this whole decorum. And so, you know, in terms of what can he do on day one, it's sort of put presidential back in the presidency. And I, <laughs> I think he's going to spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah, actually act like a president. I think he's also yeah. going to try to be a healer and he's going to say all these nice things. I don't, necessarily think it's going to work and i think he's going to be you know really tricky but i think it's something he really believes and i think it's something he's going to try to do starting on day one yeah yeah i mean and i think you can see that in his picks being relatively uh tame so far for various cabinet positions he hasn't done anything incredibly controversial in terms of picks so far so i i think he's trying to be careful and trying to be thoughtful considering the other side, at least in terms of moderates, in order to hopefully bring this nation towards healing rather than trying to create more division. Definitely. Yeah. And and to, to answer your, to go back to your original question as well, something I think that he could do that would benefit a lot of people is occupational licensing reform, which is something that he said uh, he really wants to do. It's one of his policies. It's sort of buried and there isn't a lot of fanfare about it, but occupational licensing is a huge deal in many, many states where like the original intent of occupational licensing was to prevent like me hanging up a shingle and then start giving lobotomies. Like that's without a medical license. Like that's, (laughs) that's really what it was designed to prevent, but there's really no reason at this point that like you need to have a license to cut hair for example. And that's just one of a plethora of of examples of where we have occupational licensing in areas where the market can just decide. You can not, getting a bad haircut will not destroy your life. Um, So uh, reforming occupational licensing so that we don't create these little economies where licensing boards get to decide how many people can do this job and then artificially raise those wages and shut people out of the market is something I would really like to see that would bring prosperity to a lot of people struggling in this job market. Yeah, and I think that would have a lot of support from across the board. Uh, I was just imagining... Bob's roofing and lobotomies on the side of a <laughs> on the side of a truck going down the road. I don't know what the picture LaBeouf, would be. Brain on. surgeon. <laughs> lobotomies say, cheerfully performed. Yeah, LaBeouf lobotomies. I feel like there's something. <laughs> oh, lobotomies. There's something we can oh, do with yeah. that. <laughs> you won't can... feel a goddamn thing during or after the surgery. I can promise you that. Because <laughs> you'll be dead. Yeah, yeah. taking a little off a the top and putting a little on the top. <laughs> That's right. Side. God. <laughs> all right i think on that note it'd be good to wrap things up around now a little bit of end of show housekeeping please make sure to share this with your family and friends um please make sure to follow us on twitter with our handle at bam podcast 1776 you can also email us more listener questions you can see we were able to do a lot with this one and we want to hear your listener questions as well email us at bampoliticaltalk at gmail.com and rate us five stars or more on whatever platform you make use of to listen to us. Um, Anyways, thanks for listening to BAM Political Talk with Bob, Albert, and Matt. Thanks for joining, Albert. Thanks, guys. And thanks, Bob. Of course, Matt. Thank you. See you all next time.